So it's it's super interesting because there were all these sightings and stuff that were going on, and um, and so that yeah that was my introduction to it, especially like in terms of, of putting my own uh, toe in the water, I guess, of bigfootery. Hey everybody, and welcome to the Paranormal Portal Podcast. I'm your host Brent Thomas. Thank you all for joining us and special thank you that goes out to all of you who continue to support the podcast and continue to spread the word. Always remember, if any of you out there have experiences of your own that you'd like to share, feel free to email me at paranormalportalradio at gmail.com. Again, paranormalportalradio at gmail.com, and you too could be a guest on the show. got an epic uh, episode for you guys today. Uh, I am joined by Mr. Seth Breedlove of Small Town Monsters and so many other projects, and it's just a great honor to have him here. So let's get right to it. Welcome to the show, Seth. Yeah, thanks for having me. Man, I've got to tell you, I've been watching Small Town Monsters for quite a while now, and you've really built uh, a huge, um, uh, huge uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like you've, you, it, it used to be just small town monsters. You did the documentaries and then you've got a podcast cooking. Now you've got the other projects beyond the trail and the Bigfoot project. And, the, and, and you've just managed to expand the vision for what small town monsters is. Yeah, I think, um, we, we, I would say this was always kind of the vision for, for where it would go. Um, it's just that previously I was the only one kind of, um, behind the scenes i was the only one doing the editing and the, and the grunt work when it came to post-production but uh we've we've managed to add a, a bunch of people to the to the stm family in the last year and that's expanded the scope of what we can do i mean we haven't we just had a meeting on friday and i i really don't think uh most people are aware of how much goes on behind the scenes at stm sure. uh, how many people are involved um and then also how much bigger it's going to get than than it is right now it's going to get a lot bigger like we have a we have a publishing wing that's going to open up this summer so we'll be book publishing as well oh phenomenal Um, we've we've got uh we've got at least another podcast at least two more podcasts apparently in the works um and we were already we've already got two running uh and then we have um currently beyond the trail is is a once monthly youtube series but that's going to be uh twice monthly starting soon mm-hmm. and then uh bigfoot project is going to continue we've got a new series called sasquatch on earth that's going to come out on youtube and that'll be probably late this spring and then we've got um plans to turn uh on the trail of ufos into a new uh, episodic series for our youtube as well and then we've got <laughs> the movies we're working on and um yeah, there's. I mean, behind the scenes is crazy on any given day. What what is kind of dreamt up and then put into into works almost immediately. That's well, kind of how we function. Yeah, and it's been incredible. And not only is Small Town Monsters, you know, when it first came out, it was like, well, there's another channel. But I I, I was hooked in by the trailers. It was just like, wow, 
this looks like it's really well done. So I started watching some of your documentaries, like, uh, you know, the Beast of Bray Road or the the Bray Road Beast, as you called it, mm-hmm. and, and several of the other ones. And I was like, the, the production is top notch. It's like you're not just another voice in the fray. You guys are really standing heads and shoulders above so many others just in the quality of what you're putting out there. Oh, yeah, I appreciate that a lot. Um, yeah, we, we, well, it's a, yeah, it's all a team effort. Uh, there's no, I think the thing that's become pretty apparent with the company in the last like year, especially, but probably, I mean, actually well before that is that it's, there's so many different people involved. Mm -hmm. Um, it went from being what it was in the earliest days, which it's never been a one man show, but in the early days it really, I was like the face of the whole thing. Right. But but more recently, I think it's become obvious that there's a much larger group of people working. I mean, I view us as a a fully functioning production company, not as like a you know a one man band right situation or any, anything like that. Uh, so there's a lot of people that are involved and people that have been involved since the earliest days, like Matt Harris, who's who's been doing interior art going all the way back to Minerva Monster, or Brandon Dalo, who did our music mm-hmm. all the way back to Minerva. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a big it's a big team of people that uh never stop working uh <laughs> yeah. behind the scenes, but it's uh I mean I I think we have a lot of fun doing it and we're passionate about the subject and about uh creating quality work. And so when that's the case, I think you can achieve anything. So well, and you guys are there's, having... your, there's your inspirational speech. <laughs> well, I mean, if if it wasn't deserved, you know, I would say. But I mean, the, what you guys are doing is phenomenal, and and it really is. I, I think doing something that's that's the 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 field really needed, which is uh, raising the bar. You know, I think we've got to challenge ourselves as you know mm-hmm. podcasts and as as uh, you know documentary houses that we we have to turn out the best work possible and that's definitely you guys have definitely set the bar on that and continue to raise it so um you know i gotta ask you though where did that passion start with you i mean was this uh did you have an experience that kind of spawned this or where did this begin no i had no experiences and i didn't actually get into it until later in life too it wasn't like something i grew up Mm -hmm. I I didn't grow up like a fan of Bigfoot or UFOs or any of this kind of stuff. Um, And to be honest, I didn't even realize until 2002, I did not know that people believed that UFOs were real. Like I thought (laughs) flying saucers and UFOs were solely like a creation of science fiction, um, like Ray Ray Harryhausen movies or whatever. Um, And then my sister bought a copy of... uh, the Mothman prophecy is the book mm-hmm. um, around the same time that the movie came out. And I remember flipping through it and being extremely weirded out by it. Yeah. And um, that was the first time I became aware that like the paranormal is even a thing. And, and even then it was probably another eight years or so before I started getting in, into it myself. Right. And that was just due to boredom. <laughs> uh, I worked a medical billing job and I had a lot of like, time on my hands while I was there to listen to podcasts and stuff. Oh, okay. And so because of that, I got into paranormal podcasts. And then from there I, um, became interested in Bigfoot and someone I knew found out I was into that stuff and made me aware that there were actually sightings, uh, Mm -hmm. near the town I'd grown up in, which Mm -hmm. is, uh, this tiny town called Bolivar 
here in Ohio. Oh, okay. And so I started, uh, I thought it'd be interesting to go down there and, and start talking to people, um, on the road where I was aware that those sightings were taking place. Um, mm-hmm. so I would, uh, in this really creepy way, I would drive up and down the road. And if I saw someone out of their house or walking down the street, I'd pull over and ask them if they'd seen <laughs> anything. And wow, that was, bold. yeah, that was how <laughs> I began investigating Bigfoot and, uh, you know, learned some stuff about the, the subject as it pertained to Bolivar and, and the road, um, St. Peter's church road, just at, outside of town where in the seventies, there were all these, um, hunters and stuff kept finding deer like ripped ripped in half and stuffed up in trees oh my god Um, and it was super interesting because it was corresponding with this wave of of bigfoot sightings that were taking place down there and uh and actually that road kind of here in ohio there's there's what they call the sasquatch triangle and i don't know where the other two points are but i know that the northern point is is just above Strasburg, Ohio, which would be just south of Bolivar. So it's like basically this road is the northern point of the Sasquatch Triangle. <laughs> um, and so it's it's super interesting because there were all these sightings and stuff that were going on. And um, and so that yeah, that was my introduction to it, especially like in terms of, of putting my own uh, toe in the water, I guess, of Bigfootery and looking into it for myself. Well, I don't know how a guy can get sick of medical billing. I mean, <laughs> oh yeah, no, uh, no. It was like, yeah, that was. I, but I credit, like, I really credit those jobs uh, with being able to do what I do today because sure. because of because of the fact that those jobs required me to solely sit at a desk and kind of like with no no brain power whatsoever punch numbers into a computer i was able, able to think about other things oh, for sure. hours on end for like 6 years mm-hmm. and in that time i was kind of like dreaming up small town monsters and creating it in my head mm-hmm. um what it would become and even then like because the job was so it just took no brain power um yeah. i could i could do things like um when Minerva came out, I was able, able to focus a large chunk of my work day on creating press uh, for for the movies, which is how we build our audience in the early days of STM. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Wow. So, like, where did the name Small Town Monsters come from? Because you got the coolest logo in all of the biz. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, the logo was created by a buddy of mine named Michael Santee, who's actually in, in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um but the name came from uh, the first – so Small Town Monsters was originally a book proposal that I put together back in 2013. And I sent to like six or seven different publishers, um, paranormal publishers almost entirely, and pitched them this book that would be on – it would be about the – some like rural monster cases that took took place in your small communities, but it was much more about the impact the story itself had on the culture of the community at the time when it was taking place. And then, you know, after the fact. And so I sent this book book proposal around all these different publishers and they all rejected it. (laughs) And then a few years later when, um, actually it wasn't even, it was, it was the next year we, we decided to make this movie called Minerva monster. And, um, Back then, we were making the movies with another "quote unquote" production company. Okay, and it was basically just these 
two guys who had some handy cams. And um, so we were working on stuff with them and I called the series small town monsters. But then when I decided to branch off and make our own stuff, that was when we created uh, small town monsters as a production company. Um, it's so it kind of functioned in those earliest days and still does to some degree. Mm-hmm. It functioned like as a dual purpose. There was like small town monsters, the series and then small town monsters, the production company. So to me, like, on our posters, when you see Small Town Monsters Presents, typically that indicates it's one of the, the legend movies, which would be oh. Minerva Monster, Beast of Whitehall, Boggy Creek Monster, Mothman of Point Pleasant Invasion on Chestnut Ridge, Flatwoods Monster, Bray Road Beast, mm-hmm. Terror in the Skies, Momo, Mark of the Bell Witch, Mothman Legacy. You know, like those are all the legend movies. Sure. Skinwalker, Howl of the Ruguru. And there's a, there's, definitely a different approach between what we do with those movies and then what we do with something like, um, on the trail of, or beyond the trail or Bigfoot project. Um, there's a different approach to those, but those, those films, the legend films are much more in line with what the original book proposal was that I concocted all this insanity under, under the heading of. Wow. One of the things we thought would be interesting thing to do is walk uh, around this car show and kind of ask random people about the Minerva monster. Most of the people we talked to had no clue. So uh, I'm wondering how much different uh, does these... When you, as you're going out and investigating these legends, in this case, um, like the Beast of Bray Road and, and uh, Minerva Monster and such, how much how much does does the legend hold up as you start digging into it versus what's actually going on, or is there is there any uh, differentiation between the two? Do you notice as you're getting into the subjects? Yeah, there's always a huge, <laughs> a huge difference. Sure, uh, between what's sort of like public knowledge about the case, and then what what actually is going on, or what's claimed to go on. Like the biggest, the best example of that is always going to be the Flatwoods monster to me, oh. because um, you had so many big names in like ufology and the paranormal get involved in that case. Mm-hmm. And then I, I do think there's like a lot of ego that goes on with, with investigators and paranormal researchers to, to where they want to kind of put their own stamp on things. <laughs> and, and unfortunately what that can end up meaning is in trying to put their own stamp on it. They kind of, they, they create their own angle to a, to an actual event. Oh, sure. And, you know, with something like Flatwoods, um, you end up with this story that 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 is some version of like there were these kids in this town and they encountered this monster on a hill that had that that breathed fire and had long arms with claw like mm-hmm. hands and it chased them, killed their dog. They saw a UFO, like all this stuff that really wasn't necessarily claimed in the first place. Oh, um, and in trying to put together the pieces of like who who actually conflated that story you find out okay it was kind of everyone it was it was it was the <laughs> newspaper reporters who investigated it it sure. was gray barker it was ivan sanderson like those guys kind of like 
created this heightened version of of the real story. The real the real Flatwoods Monster event was pretty mundane in a way. I mean, these kids were playing football. They saw some sort of a glowing object or flaming object streak overhead and seemingly come come to land on a hill. Mm-hmm. They decided to walk up the hill because the hill is also where where they lived. Two of the boys lived. So they walk up the hill along the way. They stop at their house. They get their mom and another kid. They go all the way up the hill. And at the top of the hill, they find a um, an object that looked like a rocket that had... Um, potentially eyes it didn't seem to have um arms but it it kind of approached them they ran away and that's the story um you know and it it gets it gets heightened over time by the the number of investigators and stuff that kind of look into it same thing happened with like the kelly hopkinsville goblin story um and any of those any story we look into is heightened or exaggerated to some extent uh, but few are are as over the top as like fl- Flatwoods to me is always going to be the perfect example <laughs> because then you also have over time the initial event gets gets forgotten about by locals and then it just becomes about like don't go out in the woods after dark or the Flatwoods monster will get you you know or sure. or they start or they start um, Flatwoods also had other. Uh, creatures that they dubbed the Flatwoods monster that had no connection at all to the initial Flatwoods monster story. So you had in the seventies and early eighties, you had sightings of Bigfoot like creatures near Flatwoods and they dubbed that creature, the Flatwoods monster as well. In fact, like local newspapers had headlines running that, that said things like the return of the Flatwoods monster or the Flatwoods monster returns, even though it had, you know, physically it had nothing in common with, with what they had seen back in 52. Um, but you'll find that in almost every every one of these like local legend stories. Yeah, that's, that's not to that's not to downplay the reality of the initial events because I think there a lot of times there really is something unexplainable or or um, you know something that really kicks off the, the the story's popularity in the first place. Absolutely. I mean, I, I <laughs> in doing the in doing the show, I've, I've often tell my audience it's like if a cereal bowl moves on your table, that's incredible. It doesn't have to be the Amityville horror in order to be interesting. It's like if something is happening that is not normal, that's phenomenal, you know? Yeah. But yeah. I, and I think I think a lot of it is um, – and, and that's the stuff that drew me to these stories in the first place. But I think a lot of it is that the town itself kind of adopts the legend mm-hmm. and then they're going to they're gonna put their own stamp on it as well. Sure. And so, um, you know, I, I'm not – vilifying people that do that either i don't know towns just do that like people right. villages and small small communities just turn turns to local uh events into the stuff of legend uh and a legend doesn't necessarily denote some sort of like insane paranormal event i mean there's there's legends all over america that have absolutely nothing to do with right. you know the paranormal or cryptids or anything sure um but these, yeah, paranormal events and, and cryptids seem to be the the ones that I'm the most drawn to. Absolutely, and and I and I agree. I grew up on the the shores of the Mississippi River in a, in a place called Lake Pepin. It's just mm-hmm. between uh, a town called Red Wing and Lake City, 
and it's puppy leg monster, right? The peppy, yeah, right. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I grew up in this in this area. I swam in that lake. I did water skiing. I was like, you know, and, and through my life, I never heard of this peppy thing. And this right. is through you know my whole in many years. I'm not going to go into how many, but but. And then as an adult, I found out, hey, well, there's a legend of, of Pepe. And I was like, well, I've never, ever seen anything, which doesn't surprise me. But you're right, because the local communities, once these stories become active again, and in this case, the, the <laughs> there was a, a bounty put on, the, on this Pepe mm-hmm. that anybody having proof could win a million dollars. And... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I looked into it a little bit, and if I remember correctly, it was it was put on by the guy that owned the hotel in Lake City. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, is that the one where he he made the fake monster? Too? I can't remember if that's the same story. There's one of those stories where like the a hotel owner actually cr- crafted like oh. a fake version of a monster and floated it would float it in the lake. Oh, but it might, that might be Lake George where that happened. I can't remember. Yeah, I, I never. I can't say that I've ever heard that, but that's. I guess it wouldn't surprise me. And of course, then they build festivals around these things. It's like every community. And you has, said you said you grew up unaware of that. Unaware of it completely. I see, never see that's that's the other that's the other big thing that happens is like eventually it kind of does like fade. That's that's what happened in the case of like the Minerva monster, mm-hmm. which is that Minerva when we filmed the movie in two thousand fourteen. Um, we, we went down there for like this big hot rod car show. And, uh, one of the things we thought would be interesting thing to do is walk, uh, around this car show and kind of ask random people (laughs) about the Minerva monster. And most of the people we talked to had no clue what we were talking about. And, uh, you got to understand too, Minerva, that case was huge when it happened in the seventies. I mean, it was, uh, it was, it was a big deal, not just in Minerva, but on a, Definitely on a countrywide scale, but even even internationally, it was it was fairly well known at that point in time. On the East Coast, it was the biggest thing. Like it was the biggest Bigfoot case, bigger than maybe even than the PGF at that point in time on the East Coast. It was it was wow. extremely well known. That's in, that's insane. But but and it yeah, does. and then over time, it just kind of I think it just kind of drifts away. Well, the funny thing is, is the the reason that I heard about it at all was because a, a lady that I'd known my whole life claims to have suddenly seen it. And, mm-hmm. and I was like, seen what? <laughs> so I'm being, yeah. I'm being dragged behind a boat in that lake my whole life. It's like, right. really? Uh, the only thing worse would have been chumming the water first. It's like, <laughs> right. I don't know. It's, it is crazy, but I think every community has their, they have their stories though, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's it to me though. Um, I, I mean, I I grew up in a small town, and, and despite the fact we had Bigfoot sightings outside of town, there was never like a moniker given to it. Mm. Um, so you have these vague kind of like stories that that exist, uh, these events that happen, but somehow they don't ever drift into the to the fabric of the community where they take place. I'm interested in what creates that local celebrity aspect of some of these oh yeah monster cases because like what you know like how come Bolivar never adopted the mm-hmm. Bolivar monster or whatever um you know or or what happens that some stories never spread as widely um as others you know that right. there's a there's a there's a tiny coal mining town um 
I believe it'd be east of, of Bolivar called Min- Mineral City. Um, and Mineral City is, is kind of, you know, it's, it's a, it's a tiny village. I actually lived there for a little while out of high school. And when I was a kid, um, you heard about two, two local monsters. You heard about Minerva monster, mm-hmm. uh, because Minerva was only about 20 minutes away. But the other one we used to hear about was Minnie the monster and oh. Minnie supposedly resided in an abandoned train tunnel in, in mineral city and would like terrorize children. But that, those stories, I mean, I, you know, I have every book there is on like Ohio legends Mm -hmm. and that is not something you'll ever hear about. It was, it it never reached that kind of like a a local celebrity status. I guess that's something like mineral uh, Minerva did. Mm -hmm. And so I was always curious why, what created that, you know, what, I guess what set, the the Minerva monster on another plateau, oh. you know, above many the many the monster. Other than the name, I mean, many the monster is kind of lame. Uh, <laughs> Not a lot of branding value in that, huh? <laughs> no. basically an ATV driving along a pipeline and I, I glanced up the pipeline and saw this hair covered <laughs> creature running at a dead sprint across the pipeline. What is it about Ohio brother? Because you guys have got everything going on over there. Yeah. It, I have a friend, Adam, who lives in Tennessee, and he comes up here every now and then, and him and I will just drive around, and I'll point out places where things are said to exist or, like, stories happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's always like, we don't have anything like this in Tennessee. <laughs> um, but it is it is weird. I live in – so I grew up in Bolivar, and just, just near Bolivar, I mean, there was there was the, the Bigfoot sightings that happened south of town. There was Min- Minerva Monster. There was Minnie the Monster. There was, there was a Warlock Grave. Um, j- just outside of, of Dover, which is just south of Bolivar, up in I'm I live in Wadsworth now, which is north. We're just south of Cleveland, but it's it's north of Bolivar, about an hour north. Mm-hmm. And even here, um, right near us is a tiny village called um, River Sticks. They had the River Sticks monster. Oh. There's a, a cemetery there that is notoriously haunted, with like a a, um, a tomb that that supposedly you're not supposed to go near. There's like a vampire buried in it. Um, there's the silver Creek dog man is, uh, five minutes from my office where I am right now. Silver <laughs> Creek dog man was investigated by Linda Godfrey. The new Kirks have been there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what it is. We have, we've got lake monsters and yeah. tons of UFO activity. I mean, mm-hmm. two of my favorite UFO stories are Ohio based. There's the, the portage, uh, county UFO chase, um, which is when the police officers chased a UFO all the way into Pennsylvania, oh, right. uh, w- yeah. which, which initially kind of took off from around the Mogador area, mm. um, which is only about 15 minutes from where we're 20 minutes from where we are right now. Uh, the other one is the coin helicopter incident, the coin helicopter UFO incident, which, um, was a, was a super fascinating case where like this military unit, um, encountered a UFO and then chased it 
uh, had a dog fight with it basically. And it was witnessed by all, all members of the, of the, uh, helicopter crew and like 20 or 30 people that were on the ground that saw the two objects go overhead. Oh my God. Um, so, oh, and then the interesting thing about that, that kind of is the perfect, uh, example of all this because the coin helicopter incident, uh, where they first encountered the, the, the UFO would have been Charles Mill Lake. Mm-hmm. And in the fifties, there were a series of sightings of this webbed, uh, gill, gill man like creature, Ooh. uh, called the Charles Mill Lake monster. Um, so, so every, every, I don't know what the deal is. Ohio has got a lot. And, uh, <laughs> I don't know if we have more than any other state, or if, or if there's just more of a focus on it here. Um, but there, there's definitely, I find that when I'm in, you know, having been in, in so many other States, the only one that really compares is West Virginia in terms of like sheer preponderance of like local legends. Oh, West yeah. Virginia gives us a run for our money, yeah. but I don't see it on this scale in in many other places. No, I mean, I was thinking Pennsylvania as well seems to be pretty busy as far as the dogman sightings and uh, a lot of Bigfoot reports and such. But yeah, it's there's something going on in Ohio, and I don't know if it's a convergence of ley lines or if there's something else going on. But it it's just always stuns me when I'm doing mm-hmm. my shows. It's like, oh yeah, Ohio, go figure. Ohio, go figure. <laughs> it just keeps coming yeah. up. So you guys have got something crazy going there. Yeah, I, I think it's it's amazing now. How has your view of all of these, well, let's say just, uh, for instance, Bigfoot, since you started your journey to now, how has your views of this phenomena changed? Um, my view of the phenomena, well, it's funny, it's kind of come full circle. In the earliest days, uh, hold on a second. No, go ahead. What's up, buddy? You want a chair? Okay. <laughs> nope, sorry. take all the time you need, brother. Here, come on. Here. Hold on. You gotta move. You gotta stop playing first. I was going out to take it. Okay. Good luck. I'm sorry. No, um, no apologies necessary, man. That's beautiful. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what, what was the question? Where were we? How's your views of uh, Bigfoot? Shoes? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, it's kind of come full circle because in the earliest days when I first got into this, just having heard uh, eyewitness encounters firsthand at like library events and things like that, mm-hmm. um, and just being really excited about something new, I was, I would say I was like 100% Bigfoot's real. I believe it's there, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then over time, being involved in it, going to so many uh, supposedly active areas and not experiencing anything for myself i think i'd my being open to it had waned to the point where i was like fairly sure they didn't exist Mm -hmm. um despite the fact that you know i'd made all these movies and was certainly found the subject fascinating but just Mm -hmm. didn't think they were real um and then i started experiencing things for myself in 2018 and uh, up through present day, and then I had a sighting this past summer. Uh, so I'm I'm very close to 100% that they're real, um, having actually experienced some stuff for myself. Um, and my you know my personal opinion is that they're a, it's a flesh and blood creature. It's a it's some sort of undiscovered ape. 
just based on what I've experienced myself and what I've seen. Mm-hmm. And the bulk of the reports out there seem to point towards some undiscovered animal. Um, okay. So that's kind of that's kind of my own opinion on it. No, I think that's that's certainly valid, and and I. I I don't know how you can not think it's it's a physical being, of course, because it leaves tracks. It's been you know eating. It's it's apparently defecates because people go around uh, collecting samples of that as well for no. you know any number of physical uh, traits. And uh, you know some people insist that there's something spiritual, but I'm not sure how you would gain all of those those physical attributes with that if that were the case. But it is an, an enigma, and it, I you know I've talked to people that have witnessed them allegedly witnessed them anyway, like disappearing, fading right in front of them, and I don't know what to do with that personally. It's like one of those things. There's I guess in the field of Bigfoot, there's such a wide. Um, span of ideas about what the phenomena is and I, I find it it's really hard to keep up with sometimes you know so yeah i mean i think what that is attributed to more than anything is once people are in this for so long i i do think you're searching for answers of any kind mm-hmm uh, uh, you know, why don't we have a body? Why don't we have more definitive evidence that they're real? Why don't we have footage other than Patterson Gimlin film? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like why, why, why don't we have better proof that they're real? Um, and so then people start reaching for the, the more, um, esoteric outland- ideas. Uh, outlandish. Yeah. yeah uh, esoteric. That's a good way to put it. Um, <laughs> uh, explanations for it. Um, and I'm not downplaying the fact that those, encounters happen because they do i've made movies about mm-hmm. the encounters like that i mean i'm making a series an eight hour series right now about that kind of activity on the chestnut ridge in pennsylvania wow. um and so that stuff happens but it's not common and, and the bulk of the encounters that happen with bigfoot are fairly mundane sightings of some sort of undiscovered creature you know simply crossing a road or something like even on the chestnut ridge which is like renowned for weird bigfoot activity Mm -hmm. um we were interviewing people last weekend investigators who've been doing this for 20 30 years and most of them will outright tell you they've never taken a report from a witness that that claims some sort of Bigfoot coming out of a portal or, or oh. out of a UFO or something like that. It's just not common. Right. Um, that's again, that's not to say they don't happen. They do, mm-hmm. but it's, it's not common. Uh, the, the bulk of them are, are just creatures, uh, doing, doing creature stuff in the woods. Yeah. They, but they seem, it seems there's a conundrum in that as well for me. And, and I don't know if you have any insight into this, but I find it amazing that they, they clearly spend quite a bit of time and energy avoiding us, like staying away from us. But then some of the sightings are the most incidental, like, you know, this leisurely stroll across a road or across a field with a glance, you know, of acknowledgement. And, you know, they, they don't seem to be in any hurry sometimes. And so it is, it is bizarre that this, well, I mean, my sighting happened in broad daylight. Wow. Um, broad daylight, 2 PM, uh, and it doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, we were we were in an area outside of Minerva um, that has activity that goes back uh, quite a ways. Mm-hmm. We had experienced a lot of strangeness the night before, uh, noises in the woods and, and, and wood knocks and all sorts of stuff. 
So we knew something was going on. Um, but the next day, yeah, we were, we were in basically an ATV driving along a pipeline and I, I glanced up the pipeline and saw this hair covered <laughs> creature running at a dead sprint across the pipeline. Wow. But it was, it was broad daylight. And when people say they disappear, what I saw was so fast, I barely had time to take in any of the details of the thing other than I knew it was covered in hair and it was a dark brown color. Mm-hmm. And I could see its arms pumping when it when it ran. Wow! Um, but it was. Um, I think they're really curious, mm-hmm. like like very curious. Um, and I think over time, if they're ever definitively proven, it will be because of that yeah. sort of being their undoing. Um, because I think they, I think they kind of lose themselves in it. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> like we've we've had things out in Minerva happen that you just can't. It doesn't make sense. They, you know, we've had them approach our cabin mm-hmm. um, during during the middle of the the day, um, and even at you know even at night. But but we've had them come up behind the cabin during the middle of the day when it's broad daylight. Oh my god! Um, Activity slowed down a lot now that the leaf canopy is gone. I'm assuming they're hiding you know, in the, in the more dense, uh, forested areas on the property where we're, where we're at. But I mean, they're very curious. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I, I know that. So that's the only thing I can tell you when, when people talk about them crossing roads in front of them and things like that, I think that happens a lot. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know what accounts for it. You would assume at some point someone would hit one with a car or something. We would sure have that definitive proof that so many people are looking for it, but I don't know what accounts for the, yeah. <laughs> the, the, uh, occasional activity that, that sort of flies in the face of a shy animal. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's the conundrum of it, but I, I agree with you. There are so many reports of them just you know watching TV through somebody's mm-hmm. window and stuff like that, that they seem to be pretty interested in what we're up to. And I, and I imagine if, if I looked at sticks all day, I'd probably be looking for some stimulation too. Yeah, <laughs> that's incredible. Um, now again, that you've been doing a lot of research up at that cabin, and I've been watching those episodes, and and they're incredibly well done, and and it is a very active area, huh? Yeah, I. The most recent episode was about how there there was no activity, right? Um, but but for the most part, uh, the first three three or four trips out there, yeah, we had a lot of. Uh, unusual activity i would say the first the first two especially um i was there with my friend mark um back in i want to say that was late october early november and we had a rock thrown at us wow wood knocks and all sorts of stuff and i know from talking to mark like he he's been all over the country with me the you know supposedly active bigfoot areas and he told me that was like the most he'd ever experienced in 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 the woods anywhere in the country Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, I remember the first time we went out there, uh, to film the Bigfoot project, not the first time we went out there, but the first time we went out to film the Bigfoot project, we expected that to be, um, a very, you know, basically like go out to the cabin, kind of shoot an interview out there, just kind of maybe something will happen. Yeah. And then we got out there and stuff 
went crazy. And I remember <laughs> just repeatedly saying to other people that were with me that night, this can't be real. Like wow. it's the, the, the amount of activity that happened that first weekend was really wild. And then to actually have a sighting and everything, it's, it was a crazy way to kick the series off. Cause in a way you, you wonder if like we didn't put the, put the cart before the horse or whatever the, <laughs> the kettle before the apple or whatever sure. the, the saying is. Sure. Um, because you, you feel like, you know, like in the first episode we had crazy sounds, wood knocks, all that kind of stuff. And then I had a sighting. And so how do you, how do you follow that up? Um, <laughs> but, but the idea behind the series in a way was always just to follow what it is like to actually go into an active area on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And that is not always going to be super active. We just did a shoot there on, Friday and Saturday and um, we we didn't have anything happen this time around as far as hearing or seeing anything but we did find something that, that was super bizarre which was like a cow pelvis in a tree oh my god um, and, it, and, and it was unusual too because we had been through the area where we found it a number of times in the last like three months and hadn't seen this so this must have been put up in there fairly recently um, but there's, there's, there's always something to do out there. There's always something going on, even, even if it's not as blatant as it was in those first few episodes, but I think it was as blatant as it was in those first few episodes. Cause even back then we still had leaf canopy up. So oh, you see, so you had like the, the, the foliage was still there where, where they could hide out and coming closer to the cabin. I think right now they're, they're keeping their distance. So there's less activity. At least that's what I'm hoping. I'm, I'm hoping they haven't just vacated the premises entirely. Right. Um, but you know, as the series goes on, I think we're, we will eventually sort of get out beyond just Minerva. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, even the episode we just filmed, my plan is to, to film at least one or two interviews with local farmers who've lost livestock um, because this cow pelvis in the tree got me thinking in a, in a, in yeah. a way about some of these unusual animal kills that get reported around the state of Ohio. And, um, you know, we haven't experienced that at the property, but I can tell you at the property, we, there, there's a, a abnormally large number of, uh, coyote there. Oh. I mean, just m- massive amounts of coyote. Um, there's, deer everywhere the deer are so plentiful that they don't that when they see you they don't run like they're not the least <laughs> bit scared of people oh, um nice. there's there's small there's small animals as well there's plenty of food to eat there mm-hmm. uh good you know a lot of water sources and then you've got what we just found uh recently was a neighboring farm dumps their dead cattle on a hill somewhere on the backside of the property, actually right where my sighting happened Um, on the same, on the same path. It would be, uh, they actually dumped their, their dead, uh, cattle on this hill. And we went back there this past weekend, decided to count the amount of skulls we found. We found over 40 skulls and there's, there's more, uh, on the other side of the trail. So minimum of like 50, 60 cattle dumped on this hill. Sure. Um, so more than enough, food for these things to to be there and it's it's just a it's a strange place there's always something going on <laughs> um but it's also kind of the dream project for me because i get to return to the same place and 
yeah. you know, watch, watch how the activity evolves over time. I think that's that's brilliant because you know I think that's maybe what hampers a lot of different investigations is that they're just little glimpses into a space, but you have the access to this space and can mm-hmm. you know keep, continue to to uh, investigate it. And and I think that's amazing. I've always I've always thought that you know when you watch like the ghost shows, it's like oh we're gonna get locked down for a night. And it's like well good luck because you know I, I mean they don't perform on schedule, right? <laughs> you know? So yeah, and I mean that's what we're finding here too is like. Mm. I mean, we're going in, we're able to go back to the same place, but we're not there all the time. Um, right. But when, when we have gone lately, it's been very quiet compared to those first few trips. Um, you know, we've had very little activity. Uh, uh-huh, sure. And so you're going to have times where you're just kind of struggling with what, what am I even doing here? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that's a, it's a great takeaway just to, just in, you, you know, you were able to observe the activity and go, you know, it's a lot quieter. Maybe it's because of the, of the, of the leaves, you know, the mm-hmm. leaves having fallen. And, and I wouldn't have put that together. I mean, just in, you know, glimpsing at a location, you go somewhere, nothing happens and well, it's a dud, you go somewhere else. But well, and the other thing, uh, I don't know, I can't remember if we've talked about it on the show yet, but like these things are known for making noise, like mm-hmm. making sounds like calls and things like that screams. Mm-hmm. We have yet to experience that in, oh. in this, in, on this property. Um, we have, we have not heard anything that I would define as like a scream. We've heard some, some, some audible sounds that seem to be coming from something mm-hmm. uh, that we think might be one of the creatures, but we haven't heard like the Ohio howl or anything in there. And I think the reason is despite the fact that there is a lot of forest there, there are also a lot of people mm-hmm. and, okay. and they're, they're spread out, but there are farms, you know, like even the cabin standing on the, on the porch of the cabin, I can look uh, a few hundred yards away and there's a house. Oh, okay. And so I, I don't think they make a ton of noise because there's there's people around sure. and they're probably trying not to draw attention to themselves. So there's, I, I mean, a lot of this is just theorizing on you know what it, what might actually be happening in there, but that's right. part of the fun of it too. I think absolutely, it's the it's the puzzle that you're putting together, but. It's been absolutely amazing talking to you. I really appreciate you making the time. And could you take a couple minutes and let people know how to stay in touch with what you're doing? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we have a YouTube channel that has all of our, our new uh, episodic content going up. Um, it's actually got two of our earlier movies as well. So if you're interested in watching Minerva Monster or Beast of White Hall, they're both on there. And we're going to add more uh to the channel as well this year. Uh, this year alone, we should be adding Invasion on Chestnut Ridge, the Boggy Creek Monster, and Mothman of Point Pleasant at some point. Um, so, but there's also the original content we're creating, uh, and plenty of podcasts. We have Monsteropolis that goes up each week on there. We have The Lore You Know, where Heather Mosier uh, interviews uh, researchers and storytellers mm-hmm. uh, and investigators about stuff. Um, we've got another series launching on there called uh, The Weird Side of Normal. Um, and then we've got, um, yeah, there's just a lot on the, on the YouTube channel. If you're a channel member that you also have access to behind the scenes content, uh, longer versions of the podcast to add free, uh, versions of the, the shows and 4k, oh, cool. um, the, the YouTube is a happening place these days. Yeah, um, our films are available on most major streaming platforms like Google play and Amazon and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. 
and then uh, beyond that, um, you can um, you can check out smalltownmonsters.com for pretty much all the all the additional info on what we're doing. Oh man, you, you're you're doing awesome, and thank you so much again for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure getting to know you and to talk with you, brother. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. All right, thanks again. Cool, thanks, you. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us here on tonight's show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Please feel free to follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Paranormal Portal Radio, as well as finding us on Twitter. We're on Twitter at Paranormal Portal, P-O-R-T-L. And uh, we'd love to have you stop by our YouTube page and subscribe and check out our shows there. we got hundreds of shows, Journeys into the Paranormal Portal. So I hope you'll check it, check it out, guys. We're over there at youtube.com slash Paranormal Portal. So hope to see you guys soon uh we'll be back of course for more podcasts in the coming days so we love you all be good be kind be nice take care of each other help each other out find the magic in every day and remember to laugh as much as you can 